Okay, I want to uh, preach today a dangerous message. And seriously, you're going to have to do something as a result of this message. So, you know, like you have government health warnings. This comes with one of those today. Because I want to talk about disciples on a mission. That's what we're, our series at the moment, finding out what we've got. Because we've been talking about how Jesus equip, equips us for mission. And it's a, not, it's a lot to know. Oh, dear me, I can't get my words out. It's a lot to do with knowing who we are, but also knowing what we've got. And over the years, as a church, we've done quite a lot on identity, um, knowing who we are. And I want to suggest to you that knowing what we've got involves a whole other level of experience and confidence. So do you know what you've got? I want to suggest that it's only as we step out and go out that we begin to discover these things. In Matthew 10, we've been looking at that chapter. It says that Jesus sent out his disciples with authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and illness. But supposing, supposing the disciples had never prayed for a sick person. Supposing that they had never rebuked an evil spirit. Supposing they just sat around and wrote books on theology and prayed about it. Do you think they would have ever seen any miracles? Would anybody have been healed or set free? Because you see, authority has to be exercised for the power of God to be released. And Jesus told them to go with these words in verse 8 of Matthew 10. He says, go because freely you have received, now freely give. Freely you've received, now freely give. And last time I reminded you about the power of God that was freely given at Pentecost. But that power has to be used. It has to be used. Our faith has to be exercised. I mean, You have got so much potential. Each one of us spirit-filled believers, you've got incredible potential. So has this room. I mean, if if I was able to take all of the plaster off the walls, you would see electric cables everywhere. You'd see them in the ceiling, you'd see them in the walls. Andrew can testify to this fact that there is electricity and power running through those cables because he accidentally cut through one a little while ago. There's incredible potential. This room is positively humming with power in the walls. But if I never plugged into the power, if I never turned on the switch, would anything ever happen? Would there be any heat? Would there be any light? Would there be any evidence of power? No. Something has to be done. Something has to be activated for the power to be released. The power has to be switched on. Otherwise, all we have is a kind of passive influence. And there's still great potential there. You know, that that could even be released. But supposing you say to yourself, well... I don't think I can do that. It needs somebody who really knows what they're doing to release this power. 
you know, like a qualified electrician like Trevor or somebody like that. It's just a nonsense. We know, don't we, that any one of us can go and turn on a switch or plug something in. We don't need to be experts. So why is it any different with the power of God, with understanding the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Look, I just want to say this to you. Every one of us has been sent. Every one of us, as disciples of Jesus, have received the same commissioning. (laughs) Go into all the world and make disciples. The Holy Spirit has already come upon us. And as Acts says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be witnesses. It's not something else that needs to happen, something else that needs to, you know, some program or some education that we need. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be witnesses. That's what the Bible says. Nothing else needs to be done. You just are. You just are. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we shall be his witnesses. Somebody said to me a while ago, he says, it's okay for you. You know, all this kind of stuff happens for you. You end up in these conversations on the street. You end up praying for people and and these things happen for you. It's because you're more evangelistic than me. You're more gifted in that way. Now, because I'm incredibly pastoral, uh, I didn't say what immediately came to my mind at that point, because what I wanted to say to that person, I don't think so. I don't think I'm more evangelistic than you. What I wanted to say to them was, I think I'm just more full of the Holy Spirit than you are. Is that being a bit boastful? I think I'm more full of the Holy Spirit than you are. Why? Because I keep asking him to fill me. Because I leak, as somebody famously said. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. And when you're more full of the Holy Spirit, things just happen. You don't have to do anything other than just be who you are. Because when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be my witnesses. Whether you know it or not, whether you act upon it or not, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be my witnesses. Wherever you go, whatever you do, whoever you are, you carry with you the presence of God. And all the potential of the anointing of the Holy Spirit runs through you, spirit-filled believer, just as surely as electricity <laughs> runs through the cables in these walls. But the truth is, we don't know what we have. We don't know what we carry. We're not conscious of it. And sometimes... We only find out what we've actually got when we are cornered by our circumstances, by the people that we meet. I've got to come up with something for this person. Or by trials that we go through. And then we're able to say, oh my goodness, I didn't know I had that. I didn't know I could do that. I didn't know I had those resources at my disposal. And I've been through this so many times, you know, Yesterday, what I did, I didn't know I could do that. I didn't know. I didn't know I could preach the gospel like that. I didn't know I could do that. I've been tested in leadership and people say, oh no, this, that and everything else. I've had to stand my ground. I've had to fight for my battles. I didn't know I had that in me. I didn't know I had that stubbornness, that resolve. (laughs) Not to run away, you know. I didn't know I had that wisdom when somebody needed it. I didn't know I had that strategy or that solution or that way of doing things. 
Now, so often, I'm just going to talk about me at the moment because I don't want you to think I'm getting at you. But I don't know what I've got half the time. I was in a situation, a pastoral situation involving a, a church and they had a problem with a, a man in the church. He was a compulsive liar. And he was just going around telling stories and creating problems and difficulties because of these lies. But at the same time, he was quite a vulnerable man. And so some wisdom was needed. How are we going to tackle this? How are we going to confront this? It's wrong. We've got to challenge it. But we don't want to destroy this guy. And so it was, it was down to me to see him. And so I just sort of sat there saying, God, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know how I'm going to bring this about. So the guy comes to see me, walks in the door, make him a drink, sit down, chat. How's your week been? How's your week been? He can't speak. And then he speaks a little bit. I say, so what have you been doing this week? And I thought, this is strange. So I said, what have you been up to recently? And suddenly I had a a moment of revelation to some. I said, you can't speak unless you tell the truth, can you? You were going to tell me lies. You were going to make up stories, weren't you? I said, because the Holy Spirit's here and he is a spirit of truth. And you can't lie in my presence. I thought, that is so cool. I didn't know I had that. (laughs) And I said, look, you've been telling lies everywhere, haven't you? I said, it's all right, you can speak now. (laughs) And from that moment on, he he came to a new place. I said, you don't have to tell lies for people to think you're great. We just love you anyway. Just be yourself, it's fine. Didn't know I had that. We had a lady who came to our church who'd been involved in witchcraft. And she'd been from one church to another, desperate to get some help. And uh, she came to our church. And I didn't know, honestly, I didn't know how to help. I've not had a, I hadn't had any experience with that. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I was a little bit intimidated by it. And... Uh, And then I found out that she couldn't stand up when I walked past her. And she couldn't come into my house unless I escorted her. Because the power of God that was in me was greater than the power that was in her. And when we came to that sense of realization, she got set free. And God met with her and did amazing healing in her lives. We don't know. What we've got sometimes is the situation we, we find ourselves in. It's the trial that we go through. It's the person that's in front of us. It's the stress that's on us. That something comes out of us and we know who we are. We know what we've got. Do you want some more stories? When we were in South Africa, um, this wasn't this was about three years ago now. We were doing a conference in there and uh, we were seeing miracles breaking out all the time. Uh, it, it was great, and I, w- I was just—I was hardly doing anything because I wasn't sort of the main person doing all the stuff, and I was just observing all these amazing things. And uh, and yet, one lady said, um, "I want that man to pray for me," and she was pointing at me. She said, no, I want that man to pray for me. I thought, "What me? Okay, okay. There's Julian Adams here, and there's other important people. You want me to pray for you?" And uh, we, I went over to her, and my heart sank. 
because she said, you see, um, I've had my kneecap removed, surgically removed, and the skin's grown back over, and you could see the dip where her kneecap used to be. And she said, and I want you to pray that God will give me a new kneecap. I think you should pray for me. <laughs> Julian. <laughs> and uh, so I, I, I stepped out in faith for you, and I said, okay, in the name of Jesus, I command a new kneecap for you. <laughs> and we saw this little seed-like thing. There was about eight of us standing around this woman, and we saw like a tiny seed pop up under her skin. I can't, it looked like a seed. That's all I can describe it as. And as we prayed for her, as we continued to pray for her, the seed began to grow until finally it filled the whole gap where her kneecap was. And uh, in fact, I have just um, recently heard from Julian that that woman is still walking around on a fully reformed kneecap. And it's a medical mystery that nobody can quite understand because she regrew a kneecap. How cool is that? I didn't know that you, I could do that. You know, I haven't seen it again since. But hey, do we know what we carry? Do we know what we've got? Do we know the potential that we have as spirit-filled believers, to release power that's creative power and life-changing power through each one of us. I don't think we do. There are times when we are caught by surprise. There's times when we go through difficulties and then we find out what we are actually carrying. And, you know, those moments that we have, we're never the same again afterwards. When you've stood the trial... And you've come through and found out what's in you. When you've prayed for somebody and you've seen them healed like that. When you've confronted demonic powers and you find out the power that's in you. That it's experiential, not just theoretical. You're never the same again. Never the same. You can't go back to what it was like before. So this is my question for you today. What about if it wasn't just dependent on our circumstances, our trials and our difficulties, but actually we began, to, began as a people to step into something of that understanding and knowledge and started to mature in the reality of the fact that I, I know who I am in God and I have a sense of what I carry. And because I'm here, things are going to be different. Because I'm in this workplace, because I live in this street, because I'm on this motorway. I was speaking to uh, my friend Dave Carr just a while ago, and he was saying how he was driving down the motorway, and there was a pile-up, and he pulled to one side to help a lady, and he said to her as he got out, she said, oh, don't stop here, something might hit you as well. He said, it's okay, because I'm here, you'll be safe. And it wasn't an arrogance, it was a sense of authority. It was a sense of, I know who I am, I know what I'm called to do, I know why I'm here. What about if we lived... In that sense, in that knowledge, in that understanding of our significance in God. There's a story in the Bible about this, and, you know, it's Peter and John. It's a really well-known story, but this has really been speaking to me on this kind of theme. And I could just give you some theology and teaching now, but I just feel like I want to give you a story. Because, you know, stories, sometimes they just come alive to us, don't they? We can imagine ourselves in these situations, and we remember them more easily. So I want to give you a story. Peter and John, in Acts chapter 3, it's going to come up on, on the PowerPoint as we go along. So just sit back and, 
and enjoy the story. See, Peter and John, they were on their way uh, to the temple one particular day at the time of prayer. It was three o'clock in the afternoon. And they were just going around uh, their, their daily business. We don't go to the temple every three o'clock every day. They did. That was part of the habit. Shops would get closed. Everything would come to stop. And everybody would just go to the temple for afternoon prayers. It was just their regular routine. As much as you and I, we, we would come downstairs, we'd put our toast in the toaster, put the kettle on, make a cup of tea. It was that kind of daily humdrum routine for them. I don't want to be disrespectful of that, but I want you to understand how ordinary it was. And you know, in the ordinary, the daily humdrum of life, that's where the extraordinary can occur. And that's what it was for them, because they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they knew what they were carrying. And I love the fact that what next, what happens next happens even before they've been to the prayer meeting. They're on their way to pray, and then this happens. A man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. And he was put there every day to beg from those going into the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he says, can I have some money? Got any change? Peter looked straight at him, and so did John. And Peter said, look at us. And the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody on the street asks for me for money, I just got to confess this publicly that I usually find some way of not looking at them. I mumble, I say, no, I haven't got anything or something like that. And I just find a way of moving on as quickly as possible. Just being honest. Peter and John looked at him. They gave him their attention. Not only did they do that, but they say something to him. They look at him and they say, look at us. I don't know why Peter did that. Why did he do that? What was it about this man that they looked at him, this this beggar man, he'd been lame since birth. Every day this was his routine to be put on the floor outside a mockery, the beautiful gate where the unbeautiful people lay. (laughs) And he would be led there, left there all day in the baking sun to beg for money because there was no social services or handouts then. That was the only way he was going to survive. So if you can imagine that man and how he must have felt, I can imagine that he was sat there in a sense of despair. His head was down. And so Peter and John looked at him and said, now look at us. And there's something about restoration of dignity in this. Because the man has to look up to look at them. And something else happens. As they, as he looks up at them, as his head is lifted, as his head is raised, and he looks at Peter and John, it says that he expected to get something from them. He expected to get something from them. I know this is money, okay? He's talking about money here, but I want to use, I feel like there's a prophetic 
challenge in that phrase. It's just challenged me anyway, so I'm going to pass it on to you. He expected to get something from them. Do you know, I think people have a right to expect to get something from the children of God. And I don't mean money and resources. It may be that, but that we have something that they need, that people need, desperate people need. There's an expectation that they have the right to have. A right to corner us. A right to put us under pressure. When they look at us, when they see our lives, when they see what we live for, when we see what we hear what we say, I, I think we should expect people to be asking us, what is the reason for the hope that you've got? Why is it you're so peaceful in this situation? I think people have the right to question us as Christians. Why do you believe this stuff? Why do you go to church? He expected to get something. Otherwise, you know, if we don't have that sense, if we don't have that understanding, we've got nothing. If we've got nothing to give them, we've got nothing. If we don't understand the right that they have, there's no power, there's no answers, there's no solutions. And, you know, so often it's in those moments when people ask us for something, when they trap us. That something comes through. That God comes through. I don't know why it is. Maybe inadvertently when they ask us, it's a kind of demonstration of faith. You know, they've not heard all the teaching on faith, but they've got an expectation and that's faith. I remember in my workplace a few years ago, some of you will have heard this story before, but I I do not apologize because it's a good one. I had a trainee called Victoria, and uh, we were out one day, and because she's a single, attractive lady, I decided the best thing I could possibly do was just tell her lots of stories about Jesus and all the great stuff that was happening at church and all the miracles I'd seen. So the poor girl listened to me for about two hours while we were traveling, all these stories of miracles I'd seen. I was scratching back to when I was four years old to try and think of stories to tell her. And uh, anyway, that, that was that day. A couple of weeks later, she came into my office and she was in a desperate state. She said, Rob, those stories. I'm having a big asthma attack. Last time this happened to me, I went into hospital. So what have you got for me? <laughs> I was cornered, you know. I told all those stories and now she needed something from me. So I said, well, sit right down there. Sit there. I said, in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, come upon her now. I rebuke this asthma attack. Get off her in Jesus' name. And that was it. That's all I prayed. And she was sitting there, and she was like this, slightly trembling. And I said, what are you feeling right now? She said, I feel like my skin suddenly got really hot all over my body. And I can breathe properly. She was instantly able to breathe. And over the next hour or so, her breathing returned to normality, which was an amazing miracle in the workplace when law stuff was going on just outside my door. And God healed her. For, about, for several months, she was completely asthma-free. And this is a girl who lived with chronic asthma day in, day out. She couldn't even walk up the steps to her house without taking a puff on her puffer. Interesting thing is, um, about three days after I prayed for her, she told me she'd had a dream 
So do you know what she did? She came back to me and said, what do I do with this dream then? She wanted something from me. And God gave me the interpretation of the dream. And the, and the dream, the content of the dream is not really important. But I said, I feel like God is giving you a warning. And the warning is that you will not keep your healing unless you come to him. Because the source of this sickness for you is spiritual, not physical. So for several months, she was completely asthma-free. And I talked to her several times about coming to Jesus, about becoming a Christian. And she never did make that decision, as far as I know. And her asthma returned. But she put me in a, in a position, and I had to speak. I had to have something. What have you got? When you're put in the position, when you are trapped by your own testimony... <laughs> I think it's going to happen for some of you. Uh, we've got a, a neighbour who's been with us for several years now. And he's a Sikh man. And he's not there anymore. His family still are. He's moved on. But every day, for some reason, he'd stop me. He'd find excuses to stop me and ask for my blessing. And my in, initial reaction is No. Don't be silly. I don't do that kind of thing. He called me father as well, which was kind of odd. And then the Holy Spirit convicted me and said, look, give him what you've got. He needs it. And so whenever he stopped me, I'd say, okay, the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he give you peace. I've still got his text number. We keep in contact occasionally. Who knows what God's going to do there? What have you got? Do you know what you've got? And are you prepared to give it away? Peter and John. Back to them. Now obviously what this man was expecting here was money. That's what he thought he needed. And that's the case, isn't it? Lots of people think they know what they need. But Peter and John had something different for him on that street. And it says here, Peter says, I don't have any money for you. Sorry. But this is what I do have to give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And he says, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And Peter says, doesn't he? He says, I haven't got any money. Silver and gold have I none. And I honestly don't think that means Peter didn't have any money. You know, like sometimes we say, oh, sorry, I haven't got anything. Walk quickly on. Or maybe it's just me. I've only got a £10 note is what I mean. I don't really want to give you a £10 note. I don't have anything for you. I don't think that's what Peter was saying. I don't think he was poor. I don't think Peter had a lack of money. It was more a case of what he did have for him. More positive. It's not, I don't have any money. It's, I've got something better for you. I've got something. I love that confidence. It was a statement about what he had. And then he says, in the name of Jesus... This is a declaration of authority, which we looked at a few weeks ago. A declaration of authority and a confident right to use his name. In the name of Jesus, he spoke actually from within the name. He is in Christ, you see. So I'm speaking to you from within the name of Jesus. That's who I am. That's my identity. I'm a child of God and I have the authority to use that name. It it was from a place, he spoke it from a place of occupation, not incantation. 
he spoke the name of Jesus from a place of occupation, not incantation. You know, sometimes we use the name of Jesus like a magic spell. I'm sorry, guys, but it's true. Because there's no confidence in the power and the authority and the right to use that name. In the name of Jesus, I speak it as an ambassador of Christ. I'm in that name. That's the name that I'm owned by. It's my surname, Son of God. In the name of Jesus, he says. And it says he took him by the hand. And that was Peter's act of faith. It was his act of faith. And him taking him by the hand, reaching out, released power. And the power immediately impacted the man's feet, his ankles, and he became strong. See, Peter didn't have any money for him. He had no physical, material, or natural resources to offer him. It's just like Jesus said to his disciples, remember, when he sent them out. He said, don't take any silver or gold. I wonder why. I wonder why. Don't take any material possessions with you. Don't try and offer that. Don't be tempted to offer them a quick solution. Look, I know you're feeling a bit rough. Look, take a fiver and go get yourself a cup of tea or something. Get yourself a sandwich. Don't take any silver and gold in your belts. Don't take a bag, no extra shirt, all sandals, all staff. Dependence on the Holy Spirit. Dependence on the Holy Spirit. Because you see, if you have something, what do you have? If you have something that is physical and material, if you have that, if that's your possession, that's all you've got. That's all you've got to offer. Yeah, I can give you some clothes or I can give you some money and give you something. That's all you've got. Or if all that you have is emotional solutions or even medical ones, and I'm not knocking any of these things, but if that's all you've got, that's all you have. That's all you've got to give. So what do you have when your back is against the wall? When you have unanswerable questions, when you have difficulties that you just don't have any solutions for, what have you got? Peter didn't offer money. He gave that which he'd freely received, authority and faith to exercise supernatural power. And it released healing to the man immediately. Such as I have, I give to you. And it says that he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Why can't that happen to you and me? Why shouldn't it? The same power that was in them is in us. Why not? Should we give it a go? Why not? What have you got? What are we carrying? Who are we and what have we got? We have to exercise faith to find out. I'm sorry, you've actually got to take a risk. You've actually got to step out and you've got to go out. Because, you know, if you never try, you'll never know. If you never try, you'll never know what you've got. If you never try, you'll never know. If you never try, you'll never know what you've got. You've got to step out. You've got to take a risk. You might get embarrassed, but they might get healed. You might get humiliated, but they might get delivered. They might. Which one do you want? You know, if you've never prayed for the sick, if you've never prayed for the sick, how will you know if they'll get healed when you pray for them? If you don't pray for them, how will you know the power that you have? Now, John Wimber once said that he found the most profound thing about healing, and it's this, the more people he prayed for, the more people got healed. 
the statistics. You know, some of us have never seen anyone healed because we've not prayed for enough people. Some of us have never seen anybody healed because we've never had the courage to exercise our faith and to avoid the emotional pain and embarrassment of what about if nothing happens? What about if nothing happens? It's just like a fear that comes upon us. Oh no, somebody's sick. I don't want to pray for them. What about if nothing happens? What am I going to say then? I'm going to come back to this in coming weeks because I believe that everybody, every believer must be equipped to pray for the sick, cast out demons, preach the gospel. We're going to keep coming back to this. But let me just say this. It's never true to say that when you pray for something, nothing will happen. Something will happen. Something will happen. It's more the case of the thing that we thought should happen hasn't happened yet. That's actually true. The other thing isn't. Something will happen. So here's my new definition of healing, and I don't think it's... I don't think I invented this, but I don't know where I got it from, but I love this. Leaving the person in a better place after prayer than they were before prayer. That's healing. Leaving a person in a better place after you prayed for them than before you prayed for them. So honestly, I prayed for somebody yesterday. I don't know if they were healed or not. I don't know if they were healed or not. But she felt so loved. She felt so loved. She felt the presence of God. She felt peace. She felt loved more than anything, though. She was in a better place after I prayed for her. Whether she's healed or not, I wanted to be healed. But for her, it was more important that she felt loved and accepted. If you never pray for anybody to be healed, you'll never see anybody healed. I know that we've had disappointments from the past. Put them aside and pray for more people. It's statistics. Wisdom. How will you know that you have wisdom unless you try and help someone with their problems? How do you know what you've got? How do you know the wisdom that you've got? Because you see, many of us avoid people with problems because we feel out of our depth. But you see, what that means is that we never then get to enter into the supernatural realm where when we are weak, we are strong. (laughs) You don't. You don't enter the supernatural realm of wisdom because you won't take the risk. It's when we're out of our depth, we are more dependent on God and the Holy Spirit finds a more willing vessel to pour through. When When was the last time you got out of your depth? And then you needed wisdom desperately because you had no words to say. Another reason we don't help people with problems is because of the cost that we have to pay emotionally. The cost of getting involved. I remember I said to Sonny about three months ago, because, you know, when somebody is facing terminal illness and all the big questions, that you don't want to get involved because it's horrible. It's really hard. It's emotionally devastating. And I just said to him one day, I said, Sonny, I love you so much. You're going to break my heart if you ever die. And he did. And he has. Wouldn't it be better just to keep out of those situations, not get too involved so my heart doesn't get broken? You know, you're meant to be professional, aren't you? To help people when they go through these things. But I was crying with the rest of them. We were crying our eyes out. 
Pay the cost. And if you don't pay the cost, how are you ever going to partner with Jesus and see lives change? You can't just sit there saying, well, I've never seen it. That's probably because you've never done anything. You've never paid the cost. You've never got involved. You've never got your hands dirty. Sorry, but it's true. Are we going to be people that sit on the sidelines or are we going to be people that step in and find out what we've got? You know I love you, don't you? I'm not having a go. This is the best for you. I want us to have a supernatural culture where everybody gets to play. I'd love it if we had so many testimonies on a Sunday. We said, look, sorry, it's just getting too much. You're going to have to stop. You know, we've got to worship sometime, you know. Wouldn't that be amazing? Everybody comes with stories of, yeah, I stepped out this week. I didn't know what to say to this guy. But as I started speaking, the words just came to me. And then, whatever. How about authority then? You know, how, how will you know that you've got any authority over the demonic if you never rebuke a demon? You know, when I was young, um, I would often experience demonic intimidation. I think children are quite vulnerable to this, particularly if they are sensitive, prophetic, and I had several uh, experiences in my childhood which made me very fearful, especially regarding demonic things. And then one day, as a, I was a teenager, and uh, we were actually seeing quite an amazing move of the Spirit amongst the young people in our Christian union, people getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, and stuff was happening. And I was just up late one night just praying and the presence of God was just so sweet. I was lying, this is in the middle of the night, and I was lying on the floor, and the presence of God was so strong, I couldn't even get up off the floor. I had my quilt over me, and just the presence, oh, so beautiful. And just as I was in that moment, the atmosphere changed, and a horrible, dark thing came in. I, I was lying down with my face on the floor. I couldn't see anything, but I could see in my spirit, if you like. It's the only way I can explain it. This horrible, dark, intimidating uh, presence came into the room and it stood right there and the presence of God just seemed to disappear. And I was just overwhelmed with fear and darkness. I couldn't speak. So before I couldn't get up because of the presence of God. Now I couldn't move because I was so frightened. And I started to cry out to God in my spirit. I said, oh, Jesus, I don't know what to do. I'm so frightened. And he said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And I felt the power of it come in. I said, in the name of Jesus, get out of here. Like that. Oh, so cool. And then as I said this, the floor literally rattled. And I had um, these kind of, uh, what do you call them, leaded windows. You know, the old-fashioned kind with real lead. And they would wobble when the traffic went by. But this wobbled. The whole window shook as this demonic thing ran for its life, is the sense that I got. Just because I turned over and said, in the name of Jesus, get out of here. And God did something in me. I was never the same after that. Just my little finger. How will you know what authority you've got if you never rebuke that which is sitting on you, that which is intimidating you, that which is sending horrible dark thoughts to you, you'll never know the authority you've got. He'll keep messing with your head until you turn around and say, in Jesus' name, I'm a son of God, get out of my way. 
And then when you start to do it for yourself, you can start to do it for other people as well. Oh yeah, I've got a similar thing to that. I've had that and I prayed this and this is what happened. And I know my authority. Let me share it with you. In Jesus' name, get off my friend. (laughs) Stop bothering them. How will you know what authority you've got if you don't exercise it? Helping people with these kinds of things. I want to shout this. I love you. Helping people with this kind of stuff is not the job of professionals only. You know, only those that are elders and full-time in the ministry. I've known children rebuke demons (laughs) and seen lives change because of it. We taught our children from a young age how to do it. Well, when this comes in and stuff happens in the night, you just say, in Jesus' name, get out of here because I'm a child of God. It's part of Sam's testimony when he was baptized that he learned to do that. I've lost my notes. Um, This is not just a job for professionals, a sort of advanced form of Christianity. That is a deception that is in the enemy's best interest for you to believe. As long as he can believe, you can believe that he's more powerful than you, then you are in God. He will continue to cause trouble for you. Even the newest believer has authority in such things. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. How will you know that people can be saved when you preach the gospel unless you speak? You know, those key moments and those opportunities... I remember somebody saying to me uh, a few years ago, one of the biggest mistakes people make in seeing people saved is that they have lots of great conversations with them over many years, but they never actually ask the crucial question, which is, would you like to become a Christian? You've been talking to them for years and you say they've never made a commitment. Well, have you asked them? It's really obvious, isn't it? But since I've heard that, it's changed my perspective. And I'll ask much earlier now, would you like me to pray with you? Would you like to become a Christian? I did it yesterday. We asked a lady. I said to her, are you a believer? Do you believe in Jesus? And she said, yes. I've never been able to say that before. I do. I believe in Jesus, she said. I believe in Jesus. I said, that's really good. And then the Holy Spirit came on her and she couldn't stop laughing. Nobody had told her that that's what you're meant to do when the Spirit of God comes on her. An Asian lady, she barely speak English. She said, after today, she said, I finally understand who Jesus is. Yes, I do believe in him. Just ask the question. Anyway, that's enough. Do you know what you've got? You're not going to know unless you step out to find out. So I want to just ask a serious question. I said to you, this message is trouble. Okay? Because you've got to answer the question now. I'm not saying you're going to come and tell me, but in your own heart, are you willing to give it a go? Some of you have got disappointed and disillusioned Because stuff hasn't gone right in years past or whatever. We've got to learn how to celebrate what God has done more than what he hasn't yet done. That is so crucial. When you begin to look back over your life 
and start to celebrate and thank him like we did this morning for the things that he has done, for the things he has given you, for the things that you are, for the things that you've got. It's amazing how quickly your life is transformed to see more of the good stuff coming into your life and into the, into the environment of your life. So, are you willing to give it a go, Jubilee? You're going to pray for somebody, for, pray for somebody to be filled with the Spirit, pray for somebody to be healed, pray for somebody to be set free. I don't mind, but do something. <laughs> do something this week. Ask God for opportunities. Can we just stand together? Because I, I know uh, we've just got to repent for not doing anything. We've got to repent for uh, getting disillusioned and disappointed. Just say, sorry, Jesus. I realize that that's what's been stopping me. I'm sorry, Lord, I've become a passive Christian and I don't want to be anymore. Just do that right where you are. I'm not going to give you the words. You, you know enough. Just speak to God right now where you are. Just do business with God. And some of you, it's just been fear. Just been afraid of what people will think. Or Why don't you just say, Lord, I'm sorry for the fear. Sorry for giving in to fear. Do you know the greatest antidote to fear is love? Perfect love, the Bible says, casts out fear. I don't want to keep going on about yesterday, but I felt no fear at all in the bold proclamation of the gospel because God had given me such a love for those people. I just loved them so much. I wanted them to know love is the antidote to fear. It's not trying to resist fear. It's just loving people more. Yeah? So you've done business with God? You've done that? Just put your hand up if you've just said sorry to God right now. Just all over the room. I know there's people all over. And I'm just doing that as a public declaration of seriousness before God. Holy Spirit, I just pray for a fresh anointing to come on each one of these people with their hands raised right now. Lord, I cancel fear and disappointment and disillusionment and the heaviness and the weight of failure from the past in Jesus' name, and I set you free. It's just a trick of the enemy to stop you functioning and being who you are and giving away what you've got freely. You have received. <laughs> you have received something. Now give, freely give in Jesus' name. Amen.